This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Justin and Donald Save America. Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum and the biggest advocate of the Great Reset, was just on, uh, just what, a couple of days ago, on the state-run Chinese channel, Chinese government-run channel, where he was uh, talking about, you know, his vision for the systemic transformation of the world and everything that kind of goes along with uh, the Great Reset. But I feel like because he's on this, again, government state-run channel he was a little bit more open with the kind of what he sees for the uh for the world so we're gonna go through this and and talk about it uh it's like a three or four minute clip i have not watched this clip i'm coming in very clean i've seen little bits and pieces of you're gonna love it you're gonna absolutely love it i've seen some emails go around but i have not watched this so you're getting my uh my first hand reaction a good old santa claus here um but before we hit play on this, I do put that message out there. Every one of our videos that uh, you can help get our content in front of more eyes just by doing a couple of things. Won't cost you a penny, only will cost you a couple of seconds. Those things include subscribing to this channel if you have not done so already, hitting that like button, sharing this content if you think it's worth sharing, or even just leaving a comment underneath the video. All of these things help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. And as always, I don't think I mentioned this, Donald Kendall here, joined by Justin Haskins. Uh, we've been the some of the 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 you know the the loudest voices when it comes to sounding the alarm on ESG and uh, good old Klaus Schwab and his great reset plans. So uh we're gonna jump right into this. Anything you want to say before we hit play on this, Justin? Um I I uh I can't possibly oversell oh god this i think it's i think the, it, i think it's tempting to take like just a couple things that he says here and you just sort of run with that the systematic transformation of the world you know stuff like that sure but, but if you listen to it in whole it is very revealing and interesting conversation and i think and you got to keep in context as you're listening to the video you're watching the video if you're watching us on youtube um remember he's talking to a stooge essentially of the chinese communist party as he's saying all of this stuff so every and he knows that so this is all within the context of him talking to the chinese a representative essentially a propagandist essentially of the chinese communist party you got to keep that in mind as you're as you're watching that okay okay good thing to note and i will say just because we made sure the sound levels were right when we were right before we hit record that the lady in this video the interviewer uh is a little bit softer spoken whereas klaus comes through nice and strong here so i just don't want you to blow out your eardrums when he starts talking because you cranked it up when she was talking so so, all right, I'm going to rewind it all the way to the beginning here, and we're going to get going. And Justin, feel free to tell me to stop if you want to add some context or uh, you know comments or anything like that. In yep. the uh, APEC this year, uh, both the leaders meeting and also the APEC CEO summit, you just spoken at the opening panel, Professor. So how do you professor. see we would be able to, with our capability, to carry on this kind of discussion in the right direction? We have to define the specific elements of the global system. 
for example, nature and environment, uh, climate change, and then to see what are uh, actually the areas where we can make true progress, uh, where we can have a real impact. I'm very glad uh, that uh, uh, China is integrated into our initiative to plant one trillion trees in the next 10 years. Okay, you can stop here. Own. You can stop here. So, so tree plan. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not opposed to that plan. Yeah. Yeah. So for, first of all, a couple things before we get to the, the trillion tree thing, uh, <laughs> which is just like ludicrous. He, um, he, the context of this is he was at this APEC thing is the, the, an Asian Pacific economic cooperation partnership thing. Okay. This is a, a government business, public private partnership type deal. The idea is to, it's about pro globalization, pro trade, all this stuff. It's mostly Asian countries, including China and others that are involved in it. But there's also non-Asian countries like Australia who's in this, the United States is weirdly in it. I don't really understand, I guess, because we buy a lot of the crap from Asia. Um, <laughs> Canada's in it too, again, probably because they buy a lot of crap from Asia, but they're not Asian, obviously, or in the Pacific. So I think that um, that's the context, right? He's talking about business, globalization, economics. But notice notice what he said. It, it's He's highlighting that we have to, he's, it was all within the context of globalization and economic partnerships. We have to prioritize what? Jobs, economic growth, ending poverty. No, he doesn't say any of those things. He says climate change. He sure. says in, he's talking about environmental causes and these other things. This is this is the thrust of ESG. This oh, is yeah. what ESG is. This is the public-private partnership stuff. This is the Great Reset. That's what all of that means. Mm -hmm. Why doesn't he care about poverty and all that other stuff? Because that's not really a main focus of the ESG agenda that they never talk about that. Have you ever noticed that they never oh, talk yeah. about poor people? Sure. It's always these other things. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things that's going on. So she's saying, well, what do we need to do? And he's saying, well, you know, we got to focus on climate and all this stuff. So that's why he immediately goes to, well, China, I really love how you guys, you're China, right? You're a Chinese person. I really love how you guys in China are going to plant a trillion trees. Yeah. Now, um, planting trees is great. I'm all for planting trees. Okay. I live in a place where there's 50 billion trees. I love trees. <laughs> Grew up with trees. Trees are like my best friends. Love them. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. Uh, China's like one of the worst polluters on the face of the planet. And yeah, they, and, not, and not just like CO2 emissions, but actual no, pollution. No, actual pollution. <laughs> like actual toxic sludge. Like things that actually glow in the dark when they spews out of their factories. Like they actually rivers. have <laughs> like fish by the thousands and millions probably dying in their rivers because of how much pollution they're just like dumping into it. So these people don't care about the environment really at all. I sure. mean- not at all. They, they they don't care about it. So the idea that they could plant a trillion trees and that this is like the focus of his thing, you know, like, oh, yeah, you guys, you're the tree planting people, right? It's like, no, they're the toxic sludge people, actually, <laughs> not the tree planting people. So that th this is the beginning. The only reason I'm highlighting this is because this is the beginning. Later on, it comes out again of of the 
bizarre. Remember, yeah. this guy supposedly cares about right. helping people and ESG and the planet and climate change, but he doesn't take the opportunity to criticize them right. for all of the stuff that they're not doing. Instead, he finds a stupid tree planting program to right. focus on and say, well, yeah, you guys like to plant trees. And it's like, well, what about all the coal fired power plants that you don't like? And what about all the toxic sludge? And what about all that? Well, trees, planting trees. That's what we care about. So I, I want to highlight that only because later on it gets even worse. And that's, this is the beginning of that though. Okay. All right own contribution we have to try with a collaborative platform where we integrate the best people the most relevant people and then to work for progress now okay, pause it there for a second <laughs> so so this is interesting he's saying we have to integrate he's talking about how we have this thing the best people yes the most relevant people right into the system so he's talking about global collaboration and trade and government's work and working with but so notice what that what does that mean though we have to integrate the best people and the most relevant people well that means elites basically oh like yeah. the elites need to be in charge that's yeah, essentially I mean, what he's saying that that also has similar kind of uh um it's kind of similar rhetoric of just like old socialist ideas where it's just like we're gonna have a a, a class of a, a ruling class that knows the best decisions to make for the collective and all of that it's just an echo i'm sure that's not intentional but that's what it made me think of yeah that's the definitely has been formed but um, we have to go one step further. Okay, we pause it again. I promise I won't pause it too many times. But this is this he's saying the base has been formed. Okay, in the context of we've got to put the most relevant people, the best people, all the businesses focused on climate change all together. The base has been formed. He's talking about, I believe he's talking about this is the great reset. Okay, sure. this is the foundation for the future. All right, he's going to get into the future in a minute. Is the foundation of the future is being built and formed on the Great Reset principles. All right, go ahead. Good. We have to construct the world of tomorrow. It's a systemic transformation of the world. So we have to define how the world should look like, which we want okay. to come out of this transformation. Pause. All right. Pause. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that that autom automatically, like, because, you know, we've been following all this stuff, the great great reset, great narrative and all of this. And the common refrain from these people when they're at their conferences is that they're the ones that are constructing the future. They have to plan and design the future. He always talks about how like uh, there was, there was one thing that we were listening to where he's like, I don't want to like talk about politicians and, and lawmakers as if they're politicians and lawmakers. I want to refer to them as the designers. They're the ones that are designing the future. So that's just another example of him using that same type of talking points. And it's all within the, immediately comes after he says, we need to have the best and most relevant people making the decisions. And then he says, we're going to construct the future. The foundation is being built, right? All of this is in the context of we got to battle climate change and China's part of this conversation and all of that and all of that stuff and all leading to what? To a systematic transformation of the world. Right. Well, what does that mean? What, what, what does that mean? I mean, a systematic transformation of the world. Well, that's not saying, well, you know, we need to make the world a better place or we need to, you know, it's not even saying we need to battle climate change. It's saying we need to transform the whole world 
systematically. Right. Like that's that's more than just all these people who talk about this. Like this is just some crazy conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah, you guys right. are just making all this stuff up. And it's like, are we? This guy is calling for the systematic transformation of the world. He's sitting right. down with a representative, a propagandist from the Chinese Communist Party. Like, give me a break. Obviously, that's what he whether he can pull it off or not. is a different question. But th but he the, the idea that he wants it. Like, how is that a conspiracy? Clearly yeah. that he wants that. Yeah, right. no, they'll they'll fact check us and say, uh, you know, this this isn't some type of, uh, you know, secret plan to transform right. the entire world. We're like, yeah, we know we agree. It's not secret. Yeah. No. <laughs> Earlier, we have the great narrative of so-called globalization, and everybody believe in it, and everybody think this is our shared future. Now, as the world is changing, we need to reshape again the vision, as you just said. But how to bring everybody on board? So is now the opinion uh, globalization has failed, and we are entering into an era of deglobalization. I think that's yeah. Wrong. Uh, we, of course, we have the reshaping of certain supply chains. So for certain physical goods, we may see much more uh, reshoring or homeshoring. In reality, uh, the world has moved closer together. Okay, because, pause, it. Um, pause it here. <laughs> okay, so he's, so he's saying, like, she notice she brings up the great narrative. Mm -hmm. Okay, which is interesting. We don't have time to go into what the great narrative is right now because it's very complicated. And you and I have done like an obscene amount of research on that. And we're going to do that more in the future, I promise. Yes. But the idea is that that is is has the that is about the future. That is about the blending of technology and all of these other things the great reset and technology and the future world that they're constructing and building that he's talking about. That's what the great narrative movement is. It's the great reset, except in the future with new technological transformations, a whole new world and a whole new, it, it's, it's, it's very complicated, but you have to understand the, when, as soon as she says that she's, it's obvious that the conversation has at least some overtones of, how are we going to advance all this stuff out in the future? What is yeah. that future world going to look like? Yeah, one, one of the main, the only thing that at this point that you need to know about the what the great narrative is, is that it's just this common story thread, this common narrative that everybody, all the stakeholders, all the people that are buying into the great reset are all sharing the similar narrative, the story that makes sure that we're all going towards the same path. That's what right. his great narrative is. Correct. And, and he's, the idea here is to try to convince people, and he's going to be very specific about this later on, that these big, sweeping, systematic transformations of the world, it's for the better. We're all we're all going to be better of off course. as a human civilization oh, yeah. if we all it's for the go greater in that. Good. It's right. It's for the greater good. So he's saying globalization is a big part of that narrative for the future. Okay, that's that's one of the core ideas of the World Economic Forum. The idea that you have to have 
the systematic transformation will lead to uh, more globalization and all of this stuff. So he's talking yeah, about and, that as well. And, and did you hear the disdain when he was talking about the reshoring or like this yes. idea that people are going to try to just do manufacturing in their own, in their right. own countries, like some, yep. uh, what are they from the 1800s? <laughs> right. And, and keep in mind, keep in mind, yes, he's making that and globalization and all that stuff, but keep in mind, he's talking to someone who's he's talking to China. Okay. Right. And, and China cares a great deal about that because their whole system is built on economic, the, the whole, the whole economy is built on globalization and oh, yeah. them producing products for the world. That's the right. whole system. So that's all in the background as well. All right, let's, let's keep it. Uh, we, we are moving from a physical world, much more in a digital world. That gets way into the great narrative. Way into great we'll, narrative we'll, let's just skip that for now. Yeah. And so digital world by nature is much more globally oriented. Now you asked how to do it. Yes. I think it needs uh, what we feel in the World Economic Forum, a multi-stakeholder approach. So a great it's reset. Certainly uh, governments who have to be in the lead, but uh, business, most of the solutions will come through innovation from business. And we have to integrate the large Population. We have to um, mentor mm -hmm. the population and to show through our good examples that um, uh, the future requires this change and oh the change okay, the end, here. ultimate. So, so he, so we have to have, we have to have a great reset is what he's saying. We got public private partnerships, great reset yeah, he's model. He's describing stakeholder Pu capitalism and ESG a yep. little bit. Yep. That's exactly what he's talking about. When he says multi-stakeholder approach, he means ESG means great yeah. reset. The innovation then, from private companies, that's ESG. It, yep. That's all ESG. And then he goes to, but people, stupid people, this is the <laughs> undertone. They don't know what they're talking about. And so we have to mentor them. We, okay. have to, we have to mentor them and teach them and show them. And we have to give them a positive example. We're positive. We're going to be their positive example for them and mentor them. I mean, I can't. I mean, seriously, this guy is a caricature of everything that we say that they are. I mean, we couldn't have written this ourselves any better than this guy is just up here talking off the cuff. It's amazing how condescending and how just just elitist this person is is well that unbelievable. Also, yeah, I mean that that kind of also gets into that great narrative. Again, I haven't watched this video, so I'm not sure how like much I know it's great reset and stuff. But it transitions it's the, yeah it's getting yeah, into it, the great narrative. It we transitions sure. away from it. Everyone here told these same stories or whatever. Right. right. No. Okay. And then we'll be this last line here is a, about, uh, so he's again, just keep in mind, he's saying we got to mentor the population. All right. And then at the end, ultimately will be beneficial for them. <laughs> wait, 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 let's stop. Stop there for one second. Ultimately, it'll be beneficial. I mean, there might be like decades of pain and suffering and starvation and all that stuff, but ultimately it'll we be have beneficial. to mentor them. <laughs> we have to mentor them and give them an example. And ultimately they'll, they'll realize this is, they're better off this yeah. way. That's what he's saying. How do you right. understand this ambition of China to have the Chinese path toward modernization and share it uh, with the developing world? 
okay, pause that. That that is loaded with all kinds of of meaning. All right. So she says, how can we? You know, how, what do you think basically of China's ambition? She used that word ambition to merge the Chinese cultural past with modernization. So when she mm. says Chinese cultural past, she doesn't mean like, you know, chopsticks. Okay. Sure. She's right. talking about, and you know, dragons and like the language. She's not talking about like actual culture. She's saying, how do we merge? She's talking about the China model. How do right. we, how do, what do you think of this ambition of merging the communist party's view of the world like that with globalization and you know mixing capitalism with some capitalism with some authoritarianism and what do you think of that and then she even goes on to say and us sharing it sharing this with the developing world so like right. africa and these other poorer nations what she's referring to there is like the Belt and Road Initiative and other things that China is doing to export their authority and influence on the rest of on the rest of the developing world and especially yeah. in Africa and places right. like that. While importing all of their rare earth materials and resources. Yes. <laughs> They're essentially colonizing them and yes. it's not it's it's a more modern form of it, but it's essentially a colonization. Uh so that's so we asked them about this. So this is a perfect opportunity, Klaus. This is your time. You care about ESG. You yeah. care about people and the planet and all the freaking ESG pillars. Now's the time. All right. So how does he respond to this? He now notice he's going to feel, he feels uncomfortable. You can tell because he knows what he should say deep in his heart. He knows what he should say, <laughs> but God help him. He's not going to say it. He, uh. So he watch him squirm away from this and then find ways to, instead of criticize China, Throw him some nice fat compliments because we oh, can't God. upset the, the Chinese overlords. So let's <laughs> let's see. I uh, respect uh, China's <laughs> achievements, which are tremendous over the last uh, over 40 years since the opening up and uh, policy and reform policy came into action. I think it's um, a role model for many countries, but I think also. Uh, we should leave it to each country uh, to make its own decision what system it wants to adapt. And I think we should be very careful in imposing systems. But the Chinese model is certainly a very attractive model for uh, quite a number of countries. Wow! Yes, <laughs> wait, wait. it is indeed. <laughs> that, now that's the that's the la okay. That's the money quote, in my opinion. That I saw like little headlines oh, about quite a number of countries, where he says that China. I got to play again. systems, but the Chinese model is certainly a very attractive model for quite a number of countries. So he's he now to give him a little bit of credit here. He says uh, that the you know he he. What would he say? He praised basically what China has been able to do in the last 40 years after their reform model. So what he's talking about here is basically in the what early 90s, they uh, the, the, the ruling party of China kind of opened the door to just like little bits of free market uh, concepts. They had certain special economic zones where, uh, you know, there was there was a respect for a certain limit on, uh, 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 you know, private 
property ownership and all of that. And they, they allowed a little bit of free market into their system. And it resulted in, uh, in an insane amount of production, uh, an insane amount of lowering of uh, uh, poverty rates in the country and all of this stuff. But they've retained absolute control over it, right? So the, the Communist Party of China still has complete authoritarian control over the entire country. They basically can allow certain companies to do better and they can punish certain companies that they, they don't want to exist in their uh, in their system or whatever. So, you know, I, I've praised, I've praised the liberalization of the, Ch uh, of the Chinese, uh, you know, market system or whatever since the 90s. But to say that like they're the model for like all of these other countries or something, that makes it seem like, yeah, you know, you have some free market elements, but you you still maintain control over all of it. That's the model. And that's essentially what I accuse the ESG great reset system of being. You still have capitalism, but we get to make the rules for that capitalism. So I don't it doesn't surprise me at all that he's he's proposing that the, the Chinese model is something that should be replicated elsewhere, because that's what right. he's trying to do here in the Western society. That's exact. That's exactly right. And he's he's very careful to say only positive things about it. Oh, it's a course. role model for other countries. He says, right. This is something that's very attractive for other countries. And it's like, yes, you're right. There are many other countries around the world that look at the Chinese model of blending absolute tyranny with some free market capitalism uh, ideas or not even free market, but just capitalistic ideas of private property ownership yeah. Uh, together as a more efficient system than just the government owning absolutely everything exactly. and controlling everything. When people in China were dying by the tens of millions all the time. Yeah, that was worse. No doubt about it. Like everyone agrees. But the people who look at that model and say, that's what we want right there. Those are authoritarians too. You yes. know, it's not, it's not like those are the good guys. Like, oh yeah, like they like the China with Chinese model, like it's so successful. Look at all the people who've been lifted for poverty. Yeah, look at all the people who are in concentration camps. Look at all the people who've been executed for basic drug possession. Look at sure. all the two child, one child policy and two child policies and all the other crazy things. He doesn't that's fine to, to praise them if you couple that with the criticism, but he doesn't. Oh, he doesn't. No, no, no. He only no, praises and them. And and uh, you know, like you you might hear conservative or libertarian types again praising that liberalization of uh, of Chinese uh, the economy or whatever since the '90s. But that was also with this idea that that was a trend line and that it was going to continue to get progressively more free market, and they would continually progressively make more free market decisions and choices and whatever. And I'm not that optimistic about that. <laughs> I think they found like a nice a nice balance where they're like, oh, yeah, we'll still reap the benefits of this capitalism that we allow to happen. But we still have an iron grip on everything that's going yeah. on in the country. Yeah, there there's a uh, when we used to uh, talk a lot about sort of the basics of socialism, which we haven't done in a long time. But when we were when we were really hyper focused on the basics of socialism, one of the things that we would talk about a lot is socialist systems true socialist systems are always a race to the bottom because what happens is workers realize at some point <clears throat> that it doesn't really matter how hard they work because everybody ends up with the same amount of wealth relative to their needs anyway mm -hmm. so there's no incentive to increase things so so what ends up happening in a lot of cases are are in a society that tries to go 
into full communism and social and, and really advanced forms of socialism, people become really inefficient. So what the governments did in socialistic history, if you go back there early and mid 1900s, late 1800s and stuff like that, is they just started killing everybody and throwing them in prison and basically threatening them because, because punishing people for being not productive. <laughs> right. Because the alternative would be, well, let's just incentivize them with wealth, but you can't incentivize them with wealth and have socialism and communism. So what China realized was, you know, actually we can incentivize people with some wealth and property and they build a social credit scoring system around this and everything else. All we have to do is couple those incentives with the violence too. Like we could do both. We don't have, yeah. it doesn't have to be an and or like, we don't need to follow Karl Marx rigidly. We can just say, we're going to pick the things we like from him and we're going to ignore the things we don't like. And we'll build this hybrid model where you have a choice. We'll either incentivize you with more money and, and a higher social credit score. If you just be a good communist citizen or we'll kill you. Like those right. are the two options. And, and so it's like, it's kind of the best of both worlds. That's how they, that's the model they built. He knows that. See, Klaus oh, Schwab sure. knows this. Oh knows yeah. Knows it. And he doesn't criticize it. And he knows that she's asking him about it, which is why he's so hesitant Dude. at first. And, and so the answer is really repugnant in a lot of ways, right? Because you, you almost have an obligation as Klaus Schwab. You have a moral obligation to say, you guys are doing some really terrible things over there, but there are things you do that are pretty good too. And I like the progress you've made, but I would really like to see you guys advance human rights better and free speech and, you know, all this stuff and not, you know, maybe release those million Uyghurs from the concentration camp. That'd be pretty nice of you to do. But instead he ignores all that, just praises them and moves on. Yeah. And maybe you shouldn't be welding people into their apartments when there's like a sign of COVID in the area. Like that's, that's probably not something that the you context, guys should <laughs> Exactly. The context of all of this is just, the fact that he didn't say anything is really egregious given the context of the moment we're in and everything that's happening in China. They've got protests everywhere, people dying, lockdowns, mass imprisonments, concentration camps. It reminds me so much of when they asked John Kerry about, oh. uh, I wish we had that clip right now. That would be perfect. Yeah, they no. asked John Kerry about the climate change thing in China and why aren't they doing enough, right? And no, 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 no it, was, no. it was about uh, like solar panels and how he wants to create more solar panels, but they're being made with like slave labor. We okay. have reports that these solar panels are being made with slave labor in China. Like, how can you be in favor of this? And he says, yeah, you know, I'm the climate czar. I'm not the genocide czar. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. It's <laughs> something like that. I'm not, I'm not the, the human rights czar or I'm not the, the genocide czar. Yeah. That's what he said. In other words, it's not, that's not my problem. Like, that's not me. I'm not, that's not my responsibility. And it's like, that's, that's the attitude that a lot of these people have who work with, with China. And so. Uh, it's an incredible interview. This, that's the end of the interview. Essentially. It's an incredible interview because it has so much in such a short period, uh, a conversation and it's loaded with all kinds of additional meanings and all of the stuff. But the reason why I wanted to spend some time on it is because it clearly illustrates that a, the plan is a globalized ESG great reset of all of society, a systematic transformation of the world, a systemic transformation of the world. That's the plan. 
clearly. He lays that out very clearly here. The plan fits with the China model. Whether that is exactly the same thing or it's a, that's a slightly different version of it, he doesn't see it as a conflicting issue that doesn't need to. He doesn't say, oh, you guys need to do the my model of multi-stakeholder approach. He says, yeah, a lot of people find that attractive too. These can coexist, these two ideas, is also a key takeaway. And the third thing is they're willing, they don't really care about the environment. They don't really care about people. They don't really care about human rights. And how do we know? Because if they did, which is supposedly why ESG exists, it's about saving the world and helping people and stopping climate change, they wouldn't, they would be so much more critical of what they do in China, which is the opposite of all these things that they supposedly care about. So the fact that he's not, the fact that he's not criticizing what they're doing is proof that this really isn't about the things that they always say it's about. You know, and, and I'll, I'll point out just for uh, benefit of the doubt reasons that like, even if he did have those thoughts, he probably wouldn't bring them up in this interview. If he did bring this up in this interview, we'd never see this interview because the Communist Party of China wouldn't even allow this interview to take place without those parts edited out or anything like that. But the thing is, we've we've read tons of Klaus Schwab stuff. We've read his books. We've listened to his lectures. We've probably more uh more in the know of Klaus Schwab's like beliefs about the world than most people. And there is a complete lack of any of that stuff. Even when he's not being interviewed by some, you know, stooge of the the Communist Party propaganda wing or anything like that, he still has very little to say in terms of criticism of of China of, of China or the way that they operate their country at all. So uh, you know, it might you might say like, well, it's unfair to expect him to bring it up in this or in this context or something, but he doesn't bring it up anywhere. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah. Well, well, well you know, I, I understand the I understand that point, and I, you know, I, I think there's it's somewhat reasonable. I get that, but I would argue that we live in a time when. Okay, let's give a more recent example, all right? And this isn't going to make sense to people that are watching this video a year from now. But if you're watching this video when it comes out, you'll understand what I'm saying. Very recently, Donald Trump just had a, a dinner at his home where uh, he was meeting with Kanye West. And Kanye West brought with him someone who is a white supremacist, or this is how he's being presented. I really don't know anything about the guy, but supposedly he's a white supremacist. So... Donald Trump has been heavily criticized for having dinner with a white supremacist just by association. The guy happened to be there. Donald Trump, as far as I know, didn't even invite him. Someone else invited him who Donald Trump invited. And now he's, this is proof of him being a white supremacist, but it's okay. That's wrong. That's horrible. Everybody hates him for that. He's getting all sorts of negative media attention, but Klaus Schwab can sit down with someone who's a, you know, rep, uh, basically a propagandist for, you know, a, a regime that has murdered and imprisoned millions and millions and millions and millions of people. And he doesn't have to say anything bad about them. He can keep praise on them. And that's totally fine. We have this weird thing in our world today where for whatever reason, nobody thinks that China is as evil as it obviously is. 
it's obviously the guy, sure. I'm not the people of China are not obviously, but the government of China is like an evil institution. There really is no question about that. I mean, they are, they're mass imprisoning people. They execute you for having some marijuana in your pocket. Like they're evil people. And yet we give them all a pass and, and, and it's like inexplicable. If this was the oh, Nazi sure. party, you know, if this was some Nazi organization even if they it, had no power, it was just it, some group of crazy Nazis that don't have any power. And he did this exact same thing. We'd all be saying, well, look, proof, this guy's a Nazi. They'd be condemning him. But it, because it's, it's China, it's, it's okay. Yeah, it's even worse than that, too, because, you know, like uh, he thinks he's he's part of this crew that thinks that, uh, you know, cl climate change is an existential threat. We're all going to die if we don't do something right now about it and all this. And and he is part of a a, 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 a wing of the Democratic Party or whatever that's that's pushing for. You know, the transformation at the very least of our energy sector, trying to close down coal power plants or anything it, that. Yep. Yeah, that that would uh, that would put one more molecule of CO2 in the atmosphere and, and all of this. And if we don't do this now, we're all going to die. And then he's saying nothing but nice things about a the Chinese uh, country, the, the, the government that like for every coal power plant that shut down in the West, they open up three more in China. So it's like even if even if like that isn't an issue. Like I'm, I'm not the, the genocide, the human rights are over here. I only care about climate change. Even if in that very narrow focus, China is the complete antithesis of what you're advocating for. So yeah. What, yeah, it's, what it's, it's, ESG it's category does China do well in? If we were to give an ESG score to China, like it's not, it's certainly not the E, you know, it's certainly not environmental issues. They're like the biggest polluters in the world. They don't care about any of that stuff. It's not, they, they, as you said, they're building coal-fired power plants and all that, even though that's supposedly uh, causing catastrophic climate change. It's not the S, you know, this is a horribly racist uh, regime in a lot of ways. And they are uh, violating human rights all the time and mass imprisoning people and they don't allow people to have free speech they shut down certain parts of the internet they monitor everybody they have you know the biggest surveillance uh, apparatus in the system in the whole world that's ever existed in human civilization and they're the model that other countries should strive to be they are <laughs> they're the role model <laughs> It's like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible that he would say that and everyone just goes about their day as if this guy's a perfectly good champion of the people. Yeah. It, it, the Great Reset movement and the ESG movement and all of that is not about helping people or helping the planet or anything else. It is just about making money. That's mostly what it's about, I think. But making money and expanding power and centralizing it and all. Oh, of that, I think that I I think that the whole ESG Great Reset system is is these people that you know, the elites that are that are at the top of this is they're uh, um, they're they're trying to replicate what the Chinese Communist Party has done in China, just on like the Western part of the of the world. Yeah. That's that's what ESG. That's what the Great Reset. It's a is. little friend. It's it's going to be friendlier in their version. They're not they're not going to be quite as bloodthirsty, right? But they but yeah they want a they want to come up with a westernized way of doing that. that that's what they thing. want. Yep. Yeah, and they and we've and we don't we didn't prepare for that, so we don't have the quote. But there are many quotes where they essentially say exactly.
Oh, exactly yeah. that. No doubt. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that should probably do it here. That should probably do it for us for this segment of Justin and Donald Save America. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, you can really help us out. You can help break down that big tech algorithm that prevents content like this from being shown to more people just by doing a couple of things. Hitting that like button, subscribing to this channel if you haven't already, sharing this content, or even just leaving a comment under the video all really helps us out. Justin Haskins, where can the funny people find more of your work? Uh, they can find me on social media at Justin T. Haskins on Facebook, Twitter, Getter, Parler, and all the other uh, social media platforms. And of course, uh, heartland.org, stoppingsocialism.com. And all of the, you know, if they just Google my name, they'll find a whole bunch of articles that I've written and all of that stuff. The Hill, Fox News, all of that. Right. And you mentioned stoppingsocialism.com, which we got new articles going up there every day. And also you can find most of that content shared across different social medias. If you just look up stopping socialism, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you name it. All right. That's going to do it for us. Thank you for tuning in. We will talk to you next time. <laughs>